Today's sermon title is Take the Floor. Take the Floor. If uh, any basketball fans here today? Okay, got some basketball fans? I know it's a foreign sport to us here in Alabama, right? We just don't, we don't play it real well in college and don't have it in, in pros, so it's kind of foreign to us. But so I, I, I'll lead you a little bit. You won't, you won't be lost if you're not a, if you're not a, a basketball fan, but this, this series is about basketball. Take the floor, though. If you're not a basketball fan, you might not really think about this. When I played basketball and we took the floor, it wasn't like, okay, let's go start the game. You know, that's kind of the way a lot of Christians are. It's like they, they kind of see themselves ending up on court in the middle of a pickup game or something. You know, like church ball. You know, we were all kind of standing around saying, okay, who's going to start and that kind of thing. But, you know, in high school when you, you know, you got a coach, you know, he would tell us, okay, you, you, you start. You know, and, and we took the floor. There is an aggressiveness in this statement right here. Take the floor. You don't just wander around and find yourself in the middle of doing awesome, okay? If you may find yourself, and there's a lot of church people that find themselves doing ministry. They don't know how they ended up teaching a class. Be careful. Somebody here might, you might end up being in the nursery, you know, if you're not careful, you know, and that's the way a lot of people are. They just kind of end up, you know. You don't need to end up anywhere, You need to find out what God's called you to do and called you to be, and then take the floor. Be aggressive about it. That was the difference in, in, uh, I remember in church ball and in high school was, man, we took the floor. We're going to own this floor. We didn't own it every night, but we tried, you know. We took the floor, okay? Let me take you to some scripture right here, and uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians a couple of times here today. Uh, Oh, let me tell you about this. Uh, uh, This is something you'll hear around 2911 a lot. If you haven't heard this, you haven't been here very long, you haven't heard this, everyone has something awesome to do for God. Everyone, if you could reach out, everybody you can touch right now around you, they have something awesome to do for God. Everybody hearing this, you have something awesome to do for God. And that may be a foreign idea to you. You may have never thought about, I got something awesome to do for God. Yes, you have something awesome to do for God. And this may be the first time you've ever really thought about it. Maybe the first time, if you really try to do this, this may be the first time you really try. For some of you, you might not even have a relationship with Jesus yet. And you're thinking, I don't, have any, I, I don't even know Jesus. You know, he and I, we don't talk or anything. You still have something awesome to do for him. Because you were formed in your mother's womb by God. And when he was doing that, he was giving you certain characteristics and traits and personalities and gifts. And, and he gave you all that because he was, he was planning something awesome for you in your life. And so if you don't know him, Start a relationship with him today. Let him get rid of all the junk in the past and let him show you the awesome that he has for your future. And that future isn't tomorrow. That future is right now if you choose that. You have something awesome to do for Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? Okay, I know we're using a different sport here, but basketball was not invented yet when Paul was writing this, so he had to write about track, okay? Uh, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Don't just show up. Don't just find yourself out on the track and say, oh, my goodness, guys are running. I guess I better run too. I mean, that's the way a lot of Christians, I think, do. Don't just find, run in such a way that you get the prize. Everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. So he's talking a little bit about the things you have to do to prepare yourself. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away 
but we a crown that will never fade away. Everything you win on this earth, even accolades, all will fade away. But trophies, awards, all those things, it all fades away. But we're going after something that won't fade away. And if they have to work, athletes have to work to get to that prize, we have to work too. And we should be excited to work because we're working over something that'll never fade away. Um, Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly. I just don't just kind of end up down on the track and think I'll run a while. No, I don't do that. I choose. I'm taking the floor. I don't, and, I, and I don't box like one beating just against the air, flailing around at nothing. No, I, I'm focused. I, I, I'm, I'm taking the floor. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You're called to do something awesome. Don't just end up in something. You're called to do something awesome. And, and, and what, he's, what he's talking about here is going after that prize. No, no athlete just wants a spot on the bench. No competitor just wants a uniform. They want the win. Go for the win. Go for the championship. Go for the ring. Go for the cup. Go for the green jacket. Whatever it is, your, your spot in life, go for wh- whatever it is. But go for awesome. God didn't just call you to be his son. He called you to be his awesome son or his awesome daughter. And you might look around you and say, well, my, my, my life's not real awesome right now. Take the floor. We're going to sing a song at the end of this service, and, and it talks about how God goes before us. Take the floor because he's already out there in the floor in this arena that he's called you to to be awesome and to see awesome things happen. He's already out there going before you, so take the floor. You know, it's, it's, it's like having a 7-6 center, you know, and a three-point shooter that can shoot him from half court. And I know I'm talking in terms that some of you aren't getting, but I mean, it's like, hey, the wind's already there. All we got to do is take the floor. That's it. The wind's already, he's already won. We just have to take the floor. In Ecclesiastes, here's just a little more encouragement about why you do this. In Ecclesiastes, we believe Solomon wrote this book, and, and, uh, and Solomon's been thinking about stuff. He's been thinking about his life. He's been thinking about all his hard work. And he says in chapter 2, verse 18, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. Now, some of you, you don't have to think about it as long as Solomon did to say that, right? I came to hate all my hard work. But Solomon got to thinking about it. He said, man, I got to think about this and everything we go through. I came to hate all my hard work. For I must leave to others everything I've earned, and who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Some of this stuff you've been working toward, and you've been amassing, and you've been getting, and all the stuff you can get your fingers on, and you can get your name you know, on the deed, all this stuff, you're leaving it to somebody else. And some of them are fools. And they're going to lose it, or break it, or mess it up, or waste it, or whatever. That's where everything we do here on this earth, you take nothing with you. When you leave this earth, your hands are empty. You might have your hands full of stuff right now, but they are empty. Uh, yet they will control everything I have. These fools gained by my skill, everything I've gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless this is. Everything you do is going to be given to somebody else one day. And eventually it's probably going to end up in the hands of fools. Might not be the first generation. Hopefully your kids aren't fools. Or, you know, uh, but d- down the road somewhere, it's going to end up in the hands of someone who is foolish with it. And not just in your family, but in your job. You're building a great company. You're building a great, uh, a great vocation. You're going to hand it off to somebody who doesn't have the same drive. You might. You might not. Eventually, somewhere, it's going to hand off to someone else. Nothing lasts forever. And so what we've got to, what we, we've got to decide is, are we going to do stuff? Or are we going to do stuff that matters? Because the only thing that's going to matter after you're gone, the only thing that's 
a fool can't mess up, is what you do in the name of Jesus Christ for the sake of the kingdom and for others. When you do those things in the power of Jesus Christ, those things last and no fool can mess it up. No fool can destroy it. Let's do awesome. Let's choose awesome. If you're a dad, choose to be an awesome dad. If you're a wife, choose to be an awesome wife. If you're a friend, choose to be an awesome friend. If you're an employee, choose to be an awesome employee. If you're a boss, choose to be an awesome boss. Let's, let's go for awesome. That's, that's what competitors do. I want the prize. I want the very best that is there to offer. Let's go uh, back to 1 Corinthians. This is chapter 12, though. There's a lot of verses of Scripture, but I'm going to read this to you. I want you to get something here. Uh, chapter 12, beginning of verse 12, Paul writes, Just as a body, I got one body, right? It is one, it has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews, Gentiles, slave or free, no matter, you know, tall, short, uh, rich, poor, uh, Republican, Democrat, independent, we're all one body, okay? Uh, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many parts, many different parts. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed these parts, all these parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. You ever heard of eye-hand coordination? You got to have both, right? If you're going to have them coordinated, you got to have them both. So the eye can't say, you know, the eye sees things that it wants, but it can't get them without the hands. The eye cannot say, I don't need your hands. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You're thinking, man, I need to go on a vacation. But the, he but the head say, but I'm not taking my feet with me. You, you, you have to have your feet to get there, you know? You have to have, so you, your head can't say, I don't need the feet. On the, contrary, on the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. Like your little toe, right? You, you, you don't think about your little toe. You don't need it, really. Cut it off. Cut it off and just see, and you'll understand that, yeah, all these things uh, you're needed. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while other presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to even parts that lack the honor, so that there should be no division in the body. Think about the body of Christ. Those parts without honor, God gives greater honor to, so that there will be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Like if you stub your toe, it's not just your toe that feels the pain, right? I mean, you take the aspirin for every part of your body. I mean, you're all involved in that. And then verse 27. Now you are part of the body. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. All of that says little parts, big parts, pretty parts, ugly parts, tall, small, whatever. All of those doesn't matter. You're all a part of the body of Christ. Every one of you are part of the body of Christ. Okay, and we understand there are no big, no little, and all that. But wrap it up right here in verse 27. I hope you get all that. But you can wrap it up right here in this. You are part of the body of Christ. And there is not one part of the body of Christ that can be anything less than awesome. It doesn't matter how little you are, how insignificant you may feel. Every part, if you're a part of the body, you are awesome because you're part of his body. And he's making decisions. 
And he's doing things, and, and, and he's bringing awesome things to happen. And so when you become a part, when you accept and you become a part of the body of Christ, all of a sudden you're doing awesome stuff too because of who you are. And sometimes you do that without even thinking. But we got to get past that. we got to do not just because we do awesome things without thinking all day long. I mean, you tie your shoes without even thinking, right? I mean, if you start thinking about it, you probably get messed up and you tie a knot or something, or you get it backwards. But you do it without even thinking. We do awesome. But you're going to do even more amazing things when you start doing it on purpose, when you take the floor. Okay, now all these pieces and parts and the things that we are and how we all fit. There's a guy, I'm, I'm going to give you some of his points. He's, he's a basketball analyst, and let me show you his picture. Anybody know who that is? Who? Dickie V, Dick Vitale, Dick Vitale, uh, yeah, and, uh, and he's a polarizing character. You either love him or hate him. I mean, you know, he's always cracking stuff, and so you either say, oh, man, everything he says is funny, or you think he is the corniest person on the earth, you know. So you either kind of love him or hate him. Uh, but he's got, he's got all these uh, little, little nicknames for different kinds of players. And I began to look at these and thought, man, they mirror. They are, they are images that I see in the church over and over. So let's look at a few of those. First one is Dow Joneser. Anybody know what that, what that player is? The Dow Joneser. Okay, then the first two services, uh, somebody got it, both services. It's those players that are up and down and up and down and up and down. And the reason I put this one first is get it out of the way. Let's get it out of the way and gone because we don't need any Dow Jonesers. In any place of our life, we don't need them in the church. We don't need them in our family. We don't need them in our places of business. We don't need them anywhere around us. We don't need Dow Jonesers. And if you are a Dow Joneser, you're up and you're down, you're up and you're down, let me tell you something. That's not your calling. That's really not who you are. That's who you've become. Because God did not call you to be up and down and up and down. He called you to be steady. You know what the next one is? Is a Volkswagen. Anybody, nobody's gotten this one yet all, way, all day long because everybody's thinking, I guess you're thinking like short and stubby. No, it's not, it's not that. It's, it's steady. It's dependable. You know, it might not be the flashiest car, but it's just dependable. You know, you get it, you crank, you know it's going to go. I, you know, that's what he called Volkswagen, a steady. That's who God has called us to be. He's not called us to be Dow Jones. He's called us to be steady, like the Volkswagen, to always be. And, 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 and even and if you're great, and, and I can tell you, listen, I grew up in church, and I've been pastoring quite a few years. I've pastored several churches, and I can tell you, those who have the highest highs have the lowest lows. God didn't call you to shoot up and be something amazing and awesome in one moment and one day. He's called you to be steady and just watch him do amazing, awesome things through you. Let's go on to the next one. And the next one is uh, uh, PTP. Anybody know what that is? Primetime player, got a basketball, maybe even a Dick Vitale fan back here. Primetime player. Let me tell you what this guy, this is the guy who at the end, maybe at the end of the season, maybe in the final game of the season, you're down by two points, just a few seconds left on the clock. You know, and the ball is past him, he's behind the three-point line, he takes a shot, three points, they win the game, they win the championship. Primetime player, that's what he is. Primetime players are who they write articles about. Primetime players are the guys who get their, their picture on the front of Sports Illustrated that week. But for every primetime player you have, you need dozens of other players. Because you know how many points are scored in a season? Every team averages about 2,000 points in a season. You don't, you don't get the opportunity to shoot the game-winning three-pointer without the other 2,000 points. And if that's the only three he shot, I, I, I guarantee you some little kid gets out there and shoots the last three-pointer, and he becomes the hero, but he didn't get the chance to be the hero without the other 2,000 points that were scored all, all season long. 
and all those other players that played and all those, okay, here, here's the correlation for the church. You come on Sunday morning looking to the three-point player right up here. You know, and Jamie. Jamie's a good three-point shot yeah, as well. Then you come in here, you've called some of you, more of you in this service than the first two, you've had a week. And you come here and you say, I just want the pastor to bless me today. Or you say, I just want, I hope they sing a song, just lifts me up. And man, you want to go out of here high-fiving, you know, say, yeah, we won today. And you're excited the pastor has pumped you back up. And it's amazing. Man, we've got the best pastor because he always makes me so excited when church is over. But can I tell you something? I mean, yeah, you want, you want to write an article about me. But I don't get the chance to shoot the last shot until you make it through the week. You've been fighting all week long, and you held it together. You've been making the shots all week long. You've been working. You've been fighting. You've been praying. And even though you feel like sometimes, man, I blew it. I lost. I, I fumbled it here. You know, I stepped out of bounds here. I made some mistakes along the way. But you held it together. And so if today you show up and, and Jamie sings the song and now you're on cloud nine or pastor preaches you and you're excited and ready to go again, you understand. The only reason we got the chance to put you over the top is because you fought through the whole thing all week long. You scored the 2,000 points all, all week long just to get to this point. You have a bigger part in the victory that we have right now that you have today than I have. You just gave me the opportunity to do something special today because of your effort. Let's go on. Uh, the next one is the glue guys. Now, he's got, he, he actually was quoted exactly what he means, but, and I, so I just had to read this to you. He said, glue guys are not the superstars. See, that's who you think you are. I'm not the PTP. Hang on. I'm going to show you you are. That'll be in just a few moments. I'm not, I'm not a PTP. I'm a glue guy. We're not superstars. They're not the number one option. They just do things only coaches really appreciate. You know, I, I've said a lot of times that the guys back in the AV booth back there, they're like the offensive linemen of football. Nobody knows they're there until they mess up. You know, you let an offensive lineman miss a block and the quarterback gets sacked. And they're like, okay, where were you? You know, nobody paid attention to him for 20 plays, you know, until all of a sudden, same thing, you know. Everything's going well, you know, worship's going well, and then all of a sudden somebody's got a solo in the middle of one of the songs, they start singing, and it's, you, you know, everybody's looking around. Did you go to sleep? You know, everybody's looking around up there at them because boom, the soloist just got sacked, right? They didn't make their, they weren't where they were supposed to be. And everybody's like, where were you? Now, let me tell you something. The coach, he doesn't appreciate it until at that point, the coach has been appreciating all along. The coach understands the glue guys. You got to have those glue guys all the time. And I'm just the assistant coach. There's another coach that is paying attention to every little thing you do. And these glue guys are so important. The stars get the headlines, but it's the glue guys that help you get in the winner's circle. They are the ones that score the 2,000 just to get you to the last game, to get you to the last second. I don't think you can win without having that kind of player. I can tell you, he said, I don't think. I can say for sure a church cannot accomplish what God has given it to accomplish without glue guys. We need bunches of glue guys. For every primetime player, we need dozens of Volkswagens and glue guys. Let's go on to the next one. Is uh, Rip Van Winkle. What's that? A sleeper. Y'all know what a sleeper is? That's when, that's when somebody kind of steps in on the game. You know, nobody's seen them maybe even all year. You kind of thought they were asleep on the bench maybe, you know. And all of a sudden they show up and they, they, you know, they score 30 points in the game, you know. It's like, whoa, there's the sleeper. And, and, you know, and everybody's excited. The Rip Van Winkle, according to Vital. Yeah, the, the sleeper that's there. Every one of you that has never had their PTP moment, listen to me, you're a sleeper. 
you have a PTP, a prime time player moment out ahead of you somewhere. In church, in the community, in your family, in school, in your relationships, somewhere you have a PTP moment. You're just a sleeper right now. God is preparing you for something. He is preparing you for a moment that is going to arrive and, and there are other players and other people doing things and you think you're, you're not doing very much. He is preparing you for a moment. It may be in your, your family when it looks like everything's falling apart and the glue guys are doing everything they can to hold it together and then all of a sudden you get an opportunity to step up and say, no, let me tell you, here's what we're going to do. And, you've got the, and you, you step up and, you're, and you do something awesome that not just pulls the family but puts the family back over the top. It may, be, it may be in school where things are kind of falling apart. Everybody's lives are falling apart. Everybody's chasing after the wrong thing. Every, one person headed in one direction, and everybody just followed. But God's getting you ready for a moment. Where a lot of other little things have been happening, and a lot of good things have been setting up. But he's getting you ready for a moment to maybe just speak, or maybe invite, or maybe to do something. Maybe one, one anointed Facebook post or something. God's getting you ready. Every one of you sitting before me, you're a sleeper, a PTP in waiting. God has a moment scheduled for you to do something awesome for him. Let's go on. <coughs> a space eater. You know what a space eater is? It's a big man. You need a space eater sometimes on defense, down in the paint, you know, so they don't get any, any real easy shots. You need somebody really big. I, I, that's not me, right? You need somebody really big, you know, that can just eat up space and keep them from getting close to get a close shot. Okay, space eaters, big men. We need big men. I'm not talking physically right here. <coughs> we need big men. Churches need big men. The kingdom of God needs big men. And you know what? We've got them. Look around. Look around sometime at services and see. And you'll see men who are here when their wives are at home sick. Tell you something, you don't find that in most churches. Every, just about every church I've pastored, I can't think of a church I've pastored besides this one that had more men who would come without their wives than wives who would come without their husbands. We've got big men. I'm bragging on you guys. I want you to know the coach, the assistant coach, is watching. He's seeing. I see you guys. And you don't understand how important you are. We need big men. Let's go on. Uh, blender. You know what a blender is? Blender is someone who blends in with whatever else is going on. You know how when you zig, some people always zag? A blender, when you zig, they zig with you. Because they see you doing something and they want to help you make it even better than it could be. They make other people better just by being around them. Let's go on. And there's also uh, diaper dandy. Anybody know what diaper dandy is? A sensational freshman, an awesome freshman. You say, that's a diaper dandy. I've said this a lot about college football coaches. This is even more important for college basketball coaches. Because of the way uh, the rules that allow them to move to the, to the pros earlier, it, it's even more important for college basketball coaches. They must constantly recruit freshmen every single year. Because if, he takes a, if a coach takes a year off and says, well, I'm just not going to go on the recruiting trail. We're not going to worry about recruiting this year. And doesn't recruit freshmen? Then that next year, he doesn't have freshmen this, this coming year. Then that next year, he doesn't have any sophomores. No problem. Next year, he doesn't have any juniors. Uh-oh. And the next year, he doesn't have any seniors. No senior leadership. Churches are wondering why they're dying. They're losing their teens. They're losing their single adults. And they wonder why they're dying. It's for that exact same reason. 
I hadn't said this in a long time, but let me say this. Let me remind you again. I'm going to heaven. I don't know about you. I'm 53 years old. I'm planning on going to heaven. You know, I mean, everything within me. I, you know, you don't have to do things around here to make me want to go to church, love God. And all. I'm, I, I've already decided. You know, I, I know my mountain's secure. I'm ready to go. But there's another generation that does not know yet. And we have to constantly be on watch to get them and hold them and do everything we can to hang on to these diaper dandies. And if you're a diaper dandy today, let me tell you something. If you're old enough to be in this service and listen to worship and listen to a sermon, then your day is not someday. You are not the church of tomorrow. You're not the church of the future. You're the church of right now. Get off the bench. Get in the game. You've got a shot to make. You've got something to do. You've got somebody to cover. You've got a spot to fill. You've got something awesome to do for God. If you're old enough to hear a sermon, you're old enough to do something amazing for God. And, 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 I, and I keep looking around. I keep making sure. We, we still got diaper dandies, and I know y'all aren't in your diapers anymore. But, uh, but we still got the younger ones that we look at. And I keep looking around. Let's go on. Um, who we got? Uh, uh, the isolation man. This is somebody that you can give a job to do, and they do it, and you don't have to tell them. You give them one person to cover, they, they, they cover them. They got them covered. You know, it, it, let, me, let, let me explain to you what I mean. I love it. as a pa Pastors love isolation people. That, you know, by the time I know there's a light bulb blown, Somebody's already gotten the ladder and found the light bulbs. They've already placed it, you know, and I, don't even, I didn't even know. That's the isolation, man. You don't have to say, do this, do this, this. They get it done. Uh, go on. The, uh, Mr. Pac-Man. Anybody ever played Pac-Man? Y'all remember it? Yeah? Any of y'all ever played Pac-Man? It's an old video game. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes around and he just eats those dots up, you know, just over and over. Just eating up those dots, eating up those dots. What he means by a Mr. Pac-Man uh, player is a guy who, on defense, he eats up the offense. They can't do anything. It's like everything they try on offense, he just eats them alive. They can't get by him. They, he, he's just all, he's slapping the ball away when they're trying to drive, you know, the lane or whatever. You know, he, he's just eating them up on defense. You need to get this. Some of this may have sounded cute to you. This is very serious right here. This is very, this is very serious. You need to get this. Think about, let, let's start with dads here for just a moment. Dad, you need to be a Mr. Pac-Man because there's an enemy out to destroy your marriage, your home, your kids. You can't sit by anymore and look out on the court and say, oh, man, did you see what he did? You can't do that. you got to say, he's got, he's got a plan against him. You look at that. I see the play he's about to run. you got to be Pac-Man. you got to get out there and get in the middle of that. you got to stop it because you're the dad. You're the man. You get out there and you stop that play right where, and you eat it alive and say, not my family, not my home, not my kids. And that goes for every one of us as well, not just the dads. you got to become Pac-Man in your own lives. And when you see the enemy start, a, start to launch a play against you, don't sit back there and say, oh my, look what he's about to do. No, you say, I see what he's about to do, and by the power of Jesus Christ in me, he is not going to do it. Because this is, I'm taking this, this is my floor that he's given me. This is my life that God has given me. This is my marriage. This is my home. And, and for those of you not married, this is your marriage one day that's coming, and he's already working against your marriage. You say, no, 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 I see this play he's making to destroy this, but this, by the power of God that is in me, it is not going to happen. And you go eat it up. You eat it up. The last one is 3D, right? Yeah, the 3D man. And only you basketball people will get this quick, but I don't have time to, to explain all of it. He drives, he draws, and he dishes. Let me just tell you about, the, let me give you the, the church correlation here. He drives. He, he, he drives the lane. He doesn't need somebody to tell him. He, he, I got the drive. I got the drive. Nobody has to wake you up on Monday morning and say, you need to get up and go to work because you've got bills to pay. Nobody has to wake you up and say, you need to get up and, and, 
and take care of your kids because you've got kids to take care of. You've got your own drive. There are people around you who are dying and going to hell. Nobody has to say, wake up. There are people who are dying around you going to hell. You don't need somebody to tell you that. You see that every day. You have the drive and you have the passion. But you also have the drawing capability. He draws people to him. And I know you think, well, but that's something you're just born with. You know, I'm not, I'm not pretty, so I don't draw people by my looks. And I don't tell jokes, you know, and so I don't draw people by my winning personality. That's the, that's the physical way to draw people. But there's a spiritual way. When you get your life full of the power of God, people will be drawn to you. Now, there will be people who are in rebellion that won't want to spend a moment's time around you until they get in trouble. And when they need prayer, I guarantee you, if you've got the power of God in you and they have been uncomfortable when they've been in their rebellion, when they get in trouble, they're going to know exactly where to go to ask for prayer. The power of God draw, will draw people. Get the power of God in you. Drives, he draws, and he dishes. This is basically a pass. He draws people, and he dishes. This guy, this man, this person, this woman, this lady, this young lady, impacts more people than anybody else because they impact the entire court by driving, drawing, and dishing. And what they do, and this is something that I see leaders have to do more than anybody else, is leaders have to set others up for victory. And that's what he does is he drives, he draws, and then he dishes off for that person to make their shot, to win their championship, to get their ring. And that, that, that's what they do. And we as leaders, we're not called to do everything. We're called to lead others and help others dish off to them. But that's not just a call for leaders. Every one of us needs to be looking around. Who can we help win their championship in their life? And they're, I mean, you know, I, I, could I could make the argument that that's the vision statement of this church is to engage others for Jesus Christ, especially the unchurched. And, to, and the mission statement is to disciple them into being followers of Christ. And so in doing so, helping them set them up. Our tagline since before we launched is, we dare you to dream. That's what we're talking about here. Help people realize the dreams that God had for their life. That's what we're called to do. So you know what, you know what it's time to do now? It's time to clear the bench. Clear the bench. If you're a basketball fan, you understand what that means. That means when a game gets late, you know, and, and we're so far ahead they can't catch us, then we're going to let everybody on the bench play now. You know, little Johnny that could, can't really shoot, we're going to let him play now. That's what it means in basketball terms. That's not what, what it means in the church. That's not what it means when God looks at you as a, as a parent or as a friend or as a, as a boss or an employee, and he says, you've got something awesome to do for me. There's not a bench you understand that? There is not a bench. God does not have a bench. Who told you there was a bench? Yet that, there, there are thousands of Christians today sitting on church seats thinking they're sitting on the bench, watching somebody else do that. There is no bench. There's only two places to be. That's either on the floor, take the floor, or in the stands. There is no bench. You see, God is not limited by the five. You can only have five on a basketball team on the court at the same time. God's not limited by that. And you, you ever been to that church? You ever been there? That there only five people could actually minister and everybody else was just kind of watching? That's not 2911. That is, that is, that is anti-who we are because everybody has something awesome to do for Jesus. And it's not limited to five. Every one of us needs to get on the floor. We've got to take the floor. You've got something awesome to do. 
and there is no bench. If you think you've been sitting on the bench, no, you've been sitting in the stands. There is no bench. If, you're, if you've been sitting, you've been waiting, they don't call people out of the stands to play. They don't do that. You have to decide, I'm taking the floor. It's time to clear the bench. Stand up off the bench. Would you come join us at the front? If you're a first-time attender, let me just tell you, we like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song. And if you're comfortable, we'd love to have you join us at the front. Let's clear the bench. One last thing. When um, the game comes down to the wire, you're down by two points, a few seconds on the clock, everybody knows who's going to take the shot. Nobody has to ask the coach who's going to take the shot because our three-point shooter is going to take the shot. Nobody has, fans know. If you follow a team, you know who's going to take the shot. You know, the three-point shooter. Problem is, if he's on the bench, the shot's not going to be made. That's why a lot of times at the end of the game, you say, time out, time out. We got to get our three-point shooter on the floor. Because if he's not on the floor, we're in trouble. He's got to make the shot. All right, get this. If you're not on the floor then something awesome that's supposed to happen is not going to happen because you're the one that's supposed to make that awesome happen. When you're not on the floor, awesome things are not going to happen. They're supposed to happen. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. says, My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to lead the people in worship and off- present offerings to him. That was written about the temple. They had a temple. They came together and said, This is your duties, to stand before him. That's, a, that's another metaphor for take the floor, stand, take the floor, and stand. But now, there is not a temple that we go to because our bodies, we're all temples of God. So that means everywhere we go, this whole world, all of our communities, our schools, our places of business, our families, our homes, all of that, that's where he's called us, to take the floor. And wherever you've been sitting back and waiting, it's time to take the floor. And when you take the floor, understand this, as this song says, he's already out there. We're just wait. He's been waiting on you to take the floor. He's been waiting on you. He's been waiting on victory. Just, victory said, you know, it's kind of like I got a timeout. I'm just waiting on you to get out of here so we can win this game, so we can get the championship. Take the floor today. Bow with me, would you?